Well, hello, everybody, and welcome back. This is our daily devotional for Tuesday, January the 23rd, 2024. And I am excited to be back with you today. And I hope that this finds all of you doing well and just making your way through a very pleasant week. It's warming up here in Virginia. I've heard it's going to be even close to 60 degrees, which is unthinkable. Um, but as much as I love the cold weather, even I am ready for a little bit of break in all of this coldness. But uh, even so, today it's still a little bit chilly out there. But happy to have this time with you. Just in, in terms of announcements, Old Providence folks, be aware. Our, our Wednesday night prayer meeting and Bible study starts back this coming Wednesday night. So that would be tomorrow night by the time that this airs. Um, make plans to be here. If you are in the area, we're going to continue on with our study in the book of Hebrews. We start at 645 and should be done around 730. Now, another very important piece of information for Old Providence people. We are going to be having a congregational meeting this coming Lord's Day. Previously, a one call went out and, and, and we're going to do a correction to that. But Previously, a one call went out saying that we would start the congregational meeting after the first worship service and then conclude it after the second. We're not doing that. Given the gravity of what we're dealing with, with our renovation project, it's best to have one meeting. So there will be no Sunday school this coming Lord's Day. So no Sunday school this coming Sunday, January the 28th. Instead, we will have our first service at 9 a.m. Then at 10.15, we're having a congregational meeting to decide on flooring for the sanctuary. And then we will have our worship service at 11, but no Sunday school, one congregational meeting. So be aware of that. Now, all of that housekeeping stuff out of the way, it is so good to be back with y'all this morning and, and or this afternoon or this evening or this night or middle of the night or whenever you happen to find this. I'm glad that we have this time together. And I'm glad because this passage that we come to today, oh my goodness, y'all, my goodness. I don't want to get ahead of myself, but I referenced this yesterday, that there are several oh no moments throughout God's word, right? Um we come to one of the chief ones, one of the, oh, I'm, I'm getting ahead of myself. We got to deal with some other business first. Um, and, and this really relates to where we were a couple of days ago when we were talking about baptism and the different forms of baptism and how I baptize with water. I don't baptize with the Holy Spirit. That's what Jesus does. Along those same lines, we're dealing with the work of God in terms of miracles that are being performed, people being healed, that sort of stuff. I'm even getting ahead of myself on that. Let's pray, and then we'll dig in. Our Father, we thank you for this time that you have given to us, and we pray that you would be with us in it as we talk about something that is somewhat complicated, but then also as we depart from there and learn an extremely valuable principle. So please guide us in this time. Help us to understand exactly that which you would have us to understand, and help us to live our lives in light of your word, as always. Let us be captive to your word. So please be with us now, and we pray it all in Christ's name. Amen. All right, so really there are two parts to today's daily devotional. Um, one is kind of the follow-up from where we were. Y'all remember the, the, the paradigm that we had going on, right? Uh, Paul originally gets to Corinth. Apollos had been there, runs across these men that have been baptized with John's baptism. So Paul baptizes them in the name of Christ, right? It's this marking them for the kingdom. After that, Paul goes to Ephesus, 
where we read last time, he entered the synagogue, spoke boldly there for about three months. We find out that the Lord does amazing things through his ministry. And to enunciate that, to even show uh, the, the, the gravity of this, we're given an example Okay, but along with this, we're given a warning. You remember the last time we were together, I think it was Friday, we talked about the different baptisms and how I said in the New Testament, whenever you look at baptism, or excuse me, it wasn't Friday, it was Thursday. Anyway, when we look at baptism in the New Testament, you got to ask, well, what kind of baptism is it? And I talked about specifically the baptism of the Holy Spirit, how as a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ, I baptize with water. I mark God's people for his kingdom, okay? But this baptism of the Holy Spirit is internal, right? And we don't wield the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is not our possession, not at all. In fact, the Spirit proceeds from the Father and Son to glorify the, the Father and to do the will of God the, the Father and God the Son. We don't wield the Spirit like a club. He's not at our disposal like some deific genie of some sort. And so the Lord baptizes with the Holy Spirit, not us. In the same way, so it is with all of the manifestations of God's work in the world around us. These are not things that we wield. I'll give you an example of this. As we find out, that we're, we're picking up in Acts chapter 19, verse 11. After it talks about the Lord doing amazing things through Paul's ministry, we read in verse 11, God did extraordinary miracles through Paul so that even handkerchiefs and aprons that had touched him were taken to the sick and their illnesses were cured and the evil spirits left them. Now, we need to be careful with this, y'all. I remember looking back at the time, you know, Bob Dylan wrote a song called My Back Pages. I don't know if you're a Dylan fan, but the refrain of, of, of that famous song, My Back Pages, goes, but I was so much older then. I'm younger than that now. He repeats that through the song, right? Such is the case with me as I look back earlier in the ministry there was a, a haughtiness and a pride that I had about my theology. And often enough, I wore that on my sleeve and that's to my shame. Now, that doesn't mean that there weren't some things that I responded to that didn't deserve derision. One of those things was the idea of prayer cloths, that kind of stuff. Now, I remember somebody brought me a prayer cloth that they called a number after watching a TV preacher. And I'm not kidding y'all. It was this little tiny prayer cloth. They sent it to him for free and it had a sticker on it and it said, write your name and how much money you need. And y'all, it's indicative of, of some of just the huckster kind of stuff that's out there. This, this horrible representation of Christianity that is just bankrupt, spiritually speaking. But the root of that that idea, obviously, that's that's an exploitation, right? When you're only supposed to focus, let me tell you something. In your prayer life, if your only focus is yourself and how much money you need, your prayer life is way off, okay? But nevertheless, all of that being put aside, a lot of stuff like that, these blessed objects, that kind of thing, it comes from what we just read, okay? From a misunderstanding of what we just read, because it talks about 
how handkerchiefs and aprons that had touched Paul were taken to the sick and their illnesses were cured and evil spirits were driven away. And so people say, aha, boy, we're supposed to be able to do the same stuff. So, you know, if we find this really good guy or this really powerful preacher and he touches this stuff and he blesses these inanimate objects, then maybe they'll have this power. We talk about that. People talk about that, but they miss the beginning. If you read verse 11, it doesn't say that Paul worked these miracles. It doesn't say that Paul was responsible for these things because he reached some higher level of spirituality. And if you'll trust the Lord enough with your tithes and offerings, then maybe just maybe Paul could show you how to do these things. Remember, we already dealt with that. It's called the sin of simony right? Simon the sorcerer tried to buy the gifts of the Spirit. No, people look at this and they misapply it, but they miss the beginning. What does the very beginning of verse 11 say? Does it say Paul did extraordinary miracles? It says God did extraordinary miracles through Paul. And this harkens back to this whole business of wielding the Holy Spirit and where the power we have comes from. Y'all, the power that we possess as the followers of Christ is not our own. It's not something that's generated inside of us. It's a gift from the Spirit. It's a dispensation of, 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 of grace to do what the Lord is calling you to do. Y'all, and if, if you don't want to take my word from it, listen to Jesus, John 15, I'm the vine, you're the branches. Apart from me, you can do what? Miraculous things all on your own? No. There is no power that we have except that that comes by the Holy Spirit through Jesus Christ, right? And people miss that, just like they miss the Holy Spirit. And they think that the Spirit is something for you and I to wield, like a club, a possession that we have, something that we work towards, and somehow we can get on this higher plane and obtain the Spirit, and then we can dispense the Spirit. You know, we, we talk about the Catholics all the time getting things wrong, but there's a lot of Protestants out there that, just like the Pope, it calls himself the vicar, the substitute of Christ, right? Vicarus, right? He believes that he controls the grace of God. There's a lot of Protestants out there that believe they control the Holy Spirit. A little bit different thing, but still the same problem in the end. Instead, we are the servants of God. And God always gets the glory. When we try to take it, well, problems come. And also, when we have an improper understanding of where power comes from and the basis of our faith, and that's what leads to where we come to next. One of, if not maybe the biggest, I don't, I don't know. I referred to these things as, oh no, moments. And y'all, these are some of my favorites. I mean, really, they're absolutely some of my favorites. There are several, oh no, moments, right? We've seen one in our study. Go back to Acts chapter five, Ananias and Sapphira, right? Ananias and Sapphira, they sell this plot of land. Um, they, instead of doing what other people were doing, taking the money, laying it at the apostles' feet, saying, hey, do what you want to with it. They put on this show and they said they were giving God all the money, but really they kept some from themselves or for themselves. They were trying to steal God's glory. 
And you have this thing where Ananias is struck dead right there. And then Peter brings in Sapphira's wife and, and gives her the opportunity to tell the truth. And she lies again. She doubles down. And you hear this thing where Peter says, the footsteps you hear are those of the men who carried out your husband, and they will carry you out as well. Oh, no. And then God kills her right there. God strikes her down. It's all over the Old Testament, right? Um, Judges chapter three, Ehud, the left-handed man, the left-handed judge. That that may or may not mean that he was actually left-handed. It's probably something much deeper than that. He was a trickster. He's an example of who God can use to accomplish his will. But he goes to um, King Eglon, right, who was so fat that he could hardly walk around. And he goes to Eglon, and Eglon thinks that he's there to pay a tribute, you know, these, these, these weak, defeated Israelites. And Ehud says, I need an audience with the king. And he says, I have a message from Jehovah for you, O king. And then he pulls out this short sword and jams it into Eglon. That's one of those, oh no moments. And I love this stuff. First Samuel chapter 15, you get a combo, right? You get a combo where Saul has not obeyed the Lord's commands. He's, he's squared off against King Agag. Saul's supposed to kill every, you know, every dog, cat, cow, certainly every soldier, everybody's supposed to obliterate them, wipe them out because they're detestable in God's sight. But what does Saul do? He keeps the sheep. He keeps the cattle. And worst of all, he keeps King Agag, right? Because he wants to make a political alliance with him. Well, Samuel, the judge and the prophet, the last judge of Israel shows up and, and Samuel, or excuse me, Saul gives him this, greetings to you in the name of the Lord. And Samuel says, why haven't you done what the Lord said? In essence, I'm, I'm paraphrasing here, obviously. And Saul's like, oh, I did exactly what the Lord said. And Samuel said, what then is this lowing of cattle and bleating of sheep that I hear? And then he tells him, as you know, the Lord is taking the kingdom from you. For Saul, that's an oh no moment. Saul grabs that the hem of Samuel's robe to try to pull him back. And the hem of his robe rips and Saul says, or excuse me, Samuel says to Saul, so it is that the kingdom has been torn from you. Oh no. And there's an even better one in 1 Samuel 15, right? Um, if you read there, it's when the Agag, king of the Amalekites, it's after this, right? Verse 32, then Samuel said, bring me Agag, king of the Amalekites. Now at this point, Samuel is an old, old man. Okay, he really is. He says, bring me Agag. Agag came to him in chains and he thought, surely the bitterness of death is past. Now, Agag thinks that he's in the easy street now, right? But Samuel said, 1 Samuel 15, 33, as your sword has made women childless, so will your mother be childless among women. And Samuel hacked Agag to pieces before Jehovah at Gilgal. Oh, no. But of all of those oh, no moments, y'all, can you tell I love this stuff? I think the one that we come to next tops them all because it shows us what happens when people misunderstand where power comes from it shows us what happens when somebody just knows about Jesus and doesn't know him 
It shows us what happens when somebody doesn't take demonic activity seriously. And it's the story of the seven sons of Sceva. Acts chapter 15. Now we just heard about this thing that's going on where the Lord did all these miracles through Paul, that God did this through Paul. It wasn't Paul, it was God. But some people missed that. Verse 13, some Jews who went around driving out evil spirits tried to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who were demon-possessed. They would say, in the name of Jesus, whom Paul preaches, I command you to come out. That's the formula. I thought it was magical. Verse 14, seven sons of Sceva, a Jewish chief priest, were doing this. One day, the evil spirit answered them. Here's your oh no moment. So the idea is they've gone into this, this setting. There's this demon-possessed individual. They go in and what do they say? They, you know, they say, in the name of Jesus whom Paul preaches, I command you to come out. Verse 15, one day the evil spirit answered them. Jesus, I know. And I know about Paul. But you, I do not know. That's perhaps the biggest oh no moment in all of the scriptures. Why? Because after saying Jesus, after this demon, this evil spirit says, Jesus I know, and I know about Paul, but you I do not know. Verse 16, then the man who had the evil spirit jumped on them and overpowered them all the seven sons of Sceva, he gave them such a beating that they ran out of the house naked and bleeding. Oh no, indeed. Y'all, a lesson is here, and it's a valuable one. Again, I've already you know, let the cat out of the bag. The first most lesson is, there's a difference between knowing about Jesus and knowing Jesus. And also, spiritual warfare is very real and very serious. And no, every case of demon possession in the Old Testament and the New Testament, especially in the New Testament, right? It's not just epilepsy. It's not a mental disorder. It's real. Demon possession is real. The need for exorcism is real. You hear me? And no, it's not the same thing as the, you know, the, the, the movie, The Exorcist, right? It's not pea soup and head spinning and the power of Christ compels you and all that kind of stuff. No, but there is real demonic possession. And what we have here is men who did not know Jesus but who sought to wield him like a club, who thought that they knew just enough Jesus to use him to their advantage. They're these seven sons of one of the high priests, one of the chief priests. What could go wrong? Well, they ran out of the house screaming, bleeding, and naked. So you tell me. Now, Again, we need to be careful with this stuff. I'm not saying this to scare you. I'm not saying this to, to, to create some boogeyman that's lurking around the corner or anything like that. But instead, I'm trying to bring out something as from a purely devotional standpoint. 
again, spiritual warfare is real, and at the same time, make sure that you know Jesus. Because you see, if you know Jesus, and if you understand his word, then you understand this business about power and where power comes from and why we are given the power that we have. You see, the Lord works in us not for our glory, but for his. It's for our good, but it's for his glory. And so our desire for the Lord's kingdom should not be, I'll read between the lines here with the sons of Sceva. They don't even know Jesus, but they're out there using his name, dropping his name like they're some some you know halfway ghostbusters out there with demonic possession. No, 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 no. They got it all wrong. See, they didn't know Jesus. If you know Jesus, then your desire, my desire, because I know Jesus, our desire, our desire should be to see him lifted up and glorified. And if the Lord sees fit to use us in particular ways, then that's a blessing that he gives us because he allows us to be part of his harvest. And he does this all the time because he loves us that much. Then he's so good to us. But we dare not forget that when the Lord allows us to be part of a harvest, it's not because of who we are. It's not because of our tactfulness. It's not because of our skill or our prowess. No. It's the power of God working in us, not ours. We have no power on our own. Instead, thankfully, the power is God's, and that too is a devotional thought. As you think about this stuff, and I, you know, I'm not going to get any more in depth into this because Acts doesn't. This is one of those things where Paul, well, Luke in this case can, you know, pull a, the pin on a hand grenade and roll it out and let it just explode because there's all sorts of questions that we have about this. Like, wait a minute, does this mean demons can cause physical harm? And you ought to know the answer to that. Go back to what Jesus was dealing with, with the demoniac of the Gerasenes, right? Breaking chains, trying to kill himself with rocks, all this kind of stuff. But all of that put aside, right? He's comfortable just, just rolling this out there and leaving it so that we have all sorts of questions about this. And we ought to feel uncomfortable about this. But we ought to feel uncomfortable about this because we've seen a story of men who relied on their own power instead of the power of God. That's the lesson here for us. But this ought to fill us with joy because if, if, if what we do came down to us and trying harder and working harder, we would be our own saviors. And yet we are saved by Christ Jesus. If the things that we do for God and his kingdom come down to our prowess, our smarts, our et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, then we get the glory, don't we? But instead, because it's the power of God, as it was through the things that happened through Paul, so it is with us. Because it's like that, then God gets the glory. And my friends, that should be our chief desire. And let this be a reminder on the power that we rely on. Let your trust be in Christ alone. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for what we have read, for what you did, for what you are doing, what you will yet do. We thank you for the oh no moments. Let them be a sobering reminder of who we are apart from you, that we're nothing, that we have nothing, we can do nothing. Yet with you, oh, in your mercy, you give us so many opportunities to take part in your grand redemptive plan. Forgive us for the opportunities we've missed. But knowing 
that your mercies are new every morning because your faithfulness is so great as the prophet Jeremiah wrote. Father, give us grateful hearts that we will have more opportunities. Forgive us for the ones we've missed, but let us seize the ones that you bring before us, trusting not in our power, but in yours and yours alone. And we pray it all in Christ's name. Amen. Again, I know this is heavy stuff today. If you have questions, feel free to reach out. I'd love to chat with you. Um, but again, sometimes things are left intentionally vague to be a warning. I think this is one of them. Hope that everybody has a fantastic Tuesday or whatever day it is that you happen to find this. And Lord willing, we'll be back together again soon. Until then, take care.